Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. In this episode, we're going to be looking at how the way we handle our emotions has an impact on how we experience life and especially the contribution that emotional regulation makes when it comes to handling the challenges that come at us. This isn't about controlling or pushing down your emotions, pretending the uncomfortable ones don't exist or avoiding feeling the ones you're not too proud of. In fact, that's the opposite of emotional regulation and the fastest way to undermine resilience. What we're looking at here is regulation healthy strategies to help handle the hard emotions. Emotions can be an intense source of vulnerability, but working with them instead of against them is the key to a more resilient life. My guest on this episode is Hannah Beckett-Pratt, a psychotherapist and owner of Wellspace Counselling. As well as her work as a psychotherapist, Hannah has taught A-level psychology at a local college for the past 10 years. She also has a degree in social anthropology So she's the ideal person to contribute when it comes to what it means to be human and the way we interact with ourselves, with others and with the world around us. She's also a regular contributor to the likes of Grazia, HuffPost and Happyful on the topic of emotional health and relationships. So Hannah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Um, Okay, so I'm going to start by fessing up to the fact that in the past I've had an issue with the term emotional regulation because a lot of the definitions around it are quite troubling for me. For example, there's one definition that says, um, emotional regulation is responding in a socially tolerable way, which I think can be very challenging given the different standards we apply to expressing emotions. For example, men can't cry, women can't get angry. So kick us off on the right foot here. What's your definition of emotional regulation? Yeah, I can see why you weren't happy with those previous (laughs) definitions, yeah. Um, For me, emotional regulation is the ability to understand and accept our natural emotional responses, whatever they may be, Um, you know, regardless of societal expectations. I don't think emotional regulation is about regulating yourself or other people and their benefit. I think it's being able to understand what's going on inside you, what your emotional response is, and then being able to be okay with that and to get on with the things you want to do um, with that in mind, to look after yourself, sometimes to get through your day, sometimes to still have fun, even if you're feeling sad, you know, whatever feels right for you. I think it's about acceptance ultimately. Okay, yeah, I'm much more happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So why do our emotions make us feel so vulnerable? Hmm. I don't think there's one answer to that question. I think it depends on the person. I think there are some universals for humans. I think one of those is rejection, the fear of rejection, which is a very evolutionary thing. Um, We kind of have evolved to protect ourselves and to be in connection and relationship with other people and to not be left isolated or alone to kind of remain in groups. 
um, or couples or partnerships. And I think that over time, emotions have become something that leave people feeling as if they should be more controlled or they should not show emotion, they should have everything together, particularly in the Western world and in individualist cultures. Um, where we kind of prize getting on and productivity and going forward and, you know, looking put together at all times. And a lot of emotions, you know, anger, even total joy, sadness, they don't really fit in with that. So emotions aren't really allowed in a lot of our world. So I think that when we feel them, that makes us feel vulnerable to rejection. And it makes us feel like People might judge us for our emotions, if, especially if they don't have the, the same emotion at the same time. Um, they might not understand us and that leaves us prone to being left out or different, um, judged, rejected. Yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to the fear of rejection. I wondered if the patriarchy was gonna make its way into your answer. <laughs> yeah, what way did you expect it to come in? Oh, I don't know, something around sort of toxic masculinity, emotions are bad. Maybe I was just being a bit basic. Well, no, that does, it does sound like something that I would add in. So I think that's well expected. <laughs> um, yeah, again, yeah, like you say, I think that a lot of the Western ideals, they, you know, they come from patriarchal society because that's how our societies have developed in the West um, and in other cultures as well. But yeah, I mean, I'm Western, so I guess I'm talking from that perspective mostly. It, it is something that emotions are something that are not welcome a lot of the time or that are associated because of the history of psychology with kind of hysterical women rather than something that is, you know, the norm or the ideal to aspire to, which is a non-emotional male, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that has really kind of driven a lot of ideas about emotional regulation. Yeah, I think it's, it's also done a lot of damage like to how able we feel we are to just be human beings because we've got this sort of unrealistic standard that being a successful human being means that your emotions are completely under control. Um, yeah. So how do we learn to healthily regulate our emotions? So I think actually that, that this is not about control. I don't think control really has much of a place in emotional regulation. I think control is something that is a myth around regulating our emotions, that it is actually, you know, emotional regulation means controlling our emotions or avoiding them in some way, sort of, you know, an emotion comes up and a lot of guides and things I see on the internet are about, right, take a breath and then move on from it is essentially the message. but. You know, that doesn't work. What, what happens is it pushes it down and then it will just come back up later. And the more we do that, the more compacted those emotions become, the more difficult it is to accept them, to understand them, to let them go, essentially. And that can lead to a whole host of other issues like anxiety, depression, other mental health conditions that we commonly struggle with. So actually, I think regulating emotions healthily is about getting to know yourself it's about understanding what emotions feel like in your body and that might be different from other people that you know um, but again there are some universals so anger for example people often feel in their chest um, and upper body or like a kind of fizzing or like 
hot feeling comes over their upper body and they often feel the need to use their arms therefore to release it which is kind of where images of violent expressions of anger which are not emotionally healthy or regulated their outbursts but um, punching might come from for example um, but other people might feel that quite differently um, they might feel it in their stomach perhaps or like a creeping feeling up the back of their neck so I think it's about understanding what it means for you and then being able to name the emotion to yourself so I feel x not I am X, so I feel sad is quite different to saying I am sad because the am suggests that it's a state that has come over you and is therefore a bit more permanent or is something that you are part of an identity. Whereas if you say I feel, you recognize the true nature of emotion, which is that it's transient. It's something that you're feeling and experiencing at that time. And if you can accept that just for what it is, just I feel sad rather than I feel sad and that's a bad thing and I have to get rid of this in order to go to work today just I feel sad and it's kind of uncomfortable but I want to go to work so I'm gonna take my sadness to work and naming it accepting it and then eventually it will pass usually sometimes expressing it is important as well you might need to cry for example if you feel sad or you might need to write some things down to access your sadness it doesn't again have to be about overwhelming yourself or really ruminating in the feeling um but just until it reaches a point where you feel like okay i can get on with something else now so how would you describe emotional dysregulation Mm, yeah again so this looks different to different people but people often describe feeling overwhelmed by their emotions um, when they're dysregulated so someone's once described it to me as emotional incontinence so they felt like their emotions just came out all the time and they couldn't control them or stop them which is what they thought they should do um, but yeah so people often feel a fear of being completely overwhelmed by their emotions and I think that also leads to the opposite end of the spectrum which is avoiding them completely or pushing them away sometimes emotional dysregulation is not really feeling anything or not feeling very much at all and when people make statements like I'm not really an emotional person that suggests they don't notice or feel the different emotional kind of fabric inside of them and that's a dysregulation as well um, but usually people are talking about those extremes when they say that they aren't very good at regulating or people often use the word controlling or managing emotions. So I feel like there's a lot of shame to being emotionally dysregulated. Like it comes a real kind of like there's something wrong with me feeling. Um, but is it fair yeah. to say that actually it doesn't come naturally to most people and we all have to work at it? I think if you have an insecure attachment, which is about half of the population, it is fair to say, and evidence does show, that you will have difficulties with emotional regulation and it's likely that you will experience dysregulation. Um, that can, again, look like totally overwhelming emotional response. Um, it might be that whenever you feel sad, you feel so sad you can't leave the house. Um, or it could be that you feel so angry that you're regularly violent around other people, for example. Um, 
and so yeah I guess that's what's kind of half half of all people rather than the majority of people and I think even those with severe attachments will struggle at times yeah I think it depends on what's caused the on the context what's caused the emotions to come up as well um, usually when we understand them and they're there we feel less ashamed of them um, I think because they make some sense to us so for example in a time of grief um maybe in between someone passing and the funeral we tend to be a bit more accepting of our emotions um but if it's years afterwards then suddenly that can bring up shame because it makes us think i should be over this and i think that when we feel shame around our emotional responses however regulated or dysregulated they are it's either about feeling like we are too much for other people and we should be able to control ourselves for them or because of societal or cultural expectations. Or I think it can be about not understanding our own emotion and therefore judging ourselves for that. For example, well, why do I feel grief now when this person died several years ago? I should be over it by now. So there's usually a should, I shouldn't feel this way. I should be better controlled. And I think all of those critical statements, they bring the shame up for us. So can you intellectualise your way out of emotional dysregulation? No, definitely not. I think that's a really great question because so many of us try to do that. It's such a common trap. And I think a lot of us think that we can do that. But I like to think of um, there sort of being three domains to being human in terms of feelings, thoughts and behaviours. And they are all integrated and very linked and cause each other to happen and different responses in each of those domains. But we can't think our way out of our feelings, if that makes sense. So emotions are feelings. They are responses from our body that give us information. Often when we try and think our way out, what happens is we end up ruminating. So we go over and over and over. What does this sadness mean? Why is it here? Why do I feel like this? How do I get rid of it? How do I change? None of that is about accepting the sadness and feeling it and going into that part of your body, connecting with it, letting it be there. Um, and that, you know, those things I said just now, they are what really will help the emotion to pass. It's that acceptance, that understanding. You could come back and reflect on it later, but I think that's a very different thing to trying to think your way out of it in the moment. But I think that almost everyone can probably relate to trying to intellectualize their way out of emotions, because again, I think that's really encouraged in our society. And it feels safer to most of us. Thinking feels safer than feeling for a lot of people. I feel like sometimes we're, in a way like we're trying to use the part of us that is the most broken to get out of the situation so you often end up then engaging like your ego or your inner critic and it just isn't helpful when it comes to like getting to that point of actually I'm okay <laughs> like yeah, it'll bring out all of its sort of weapons to to make you feel like there's something wrong with you if you're trying to talk your way out of it yeah definitely I agree with that there's a theory as well by um a psychoanalyst called Paul Ware, um, where we have an open door, a trap door and a target door. 
And so our strongest um, domain, for example, if that was thinking, that would be the open door. So if people ask us questions like, what do you think about this? We'll connect with them quite easily because we can do the thinking. Whereas if someone said to us, what do you feel right now? And that was our trap door. We're probably going to come back with a, I think, and then go with our open door instead. And that quite happens quite a lot in therapy. Um, people will tell you what they think about how they feel instead of how they feel. Um, and the target door in terms of therapy is what you work with. So you kind of go through the open door to create the relationship and for someone to engage readily in the therapy. And then the target door will be where the area of work and exercise is. And then eventually you might be able to get to the trap door to kind of help them out with that area, which is usually something that feels quite unsafe for them. Yeah, even the image of a trapdoor is quite terrifying, actually. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's sort of, you know, if it was feelings, it reminds me of like just falling through your feelings and then losing losing yourself, which I think is, is a common fear for a lot of people with their emotions. They're worried they're going to get lost in them. So thinking about them is a way to sort of retain that connection with yourself. Yeah. So tell me about the somatic side of it. Yeah, so I've touched on this, I guess, a few times with some of the questions you've asked. Emotions are in the body, really, um, whereas thinking is in the mind. And I think that's where people get confused. Um, and really, I mean, there are a lot of theories about there being sort of core emotions. I quite like to think of four core emotions of fear, anger, joy, and now the other one's completely escaped me, which is sadness. There we go, which is interesting. Yeah, so fear, anger, joy, and sadness. And then there being like a spectrum within each of those that, um, you know, so for anger, for example, agitation, frustration, annoyance, they're all derivatives of anger. But they will come back to that key emotion. And I think that can be quite a nice way for people to think about it because if emotions are not something that you recognize easily or can be a difficult area for you or if you are fearful of becoming overwhelmed by your emotions actually to think which one of those four might it fit into um, is quite a nice way to connect with them and help you name them and then you can start to notice which areas of your body they come up in so sadness might be a kind of really sinking feeling in your stomach um, anger like i said before can be like a fizzing in your chest um, or a hotness on your face and neck. Um, joy can provide so much energy that you just kind of want to jump around, you can't sit still. Fear can lead to the absolute opposite. So you might feel a kind of fight or flight response or a freeze or a flop where you become very, very still and you don't want to move when you're afraid. So for example, someone waking up in the morning with anxiety and feeling like they can't get out of bed um, and they'd be safer to stay there that sort of suggests that their body was going into that just stay here and you'll be okay stay very still so emotions are very somatic it's the way to access them really is through your body and through noticing the sensations in different parts of your body and just being curious and open about what they mean so this is a difference really between reflecting and ruminating on emotions so you can engage your mind in them. If you notice the sort of feeling in your stomach, it doesn't feel quite right. You can really kind of focus on that and think, okay, so what images are coming up when I focus on that sinking feeling in my stomach? Um, if it was a color, what would it be? 
if it could make a sound, what would that be like? And just kind of ask yourself questions to get the kind of colour and the shape of the emotion, as it were. And then you might find that if you're open to it and curious, you start to understand what your emotional experience is and you might connect, okay, I think this is what sadness feels like for me. Then the next time it comes up, it may be a little bit easier to recognise. And then you might work out, well, what is it that I need to do? Or, you know, what do I need right now to allow myself to feel sadness? For some people, it might be going to get a cuddle from someone else. For others, it might be going away to be on their own for a while. So I think really the somatic experiencing of emotions is what gives us the key to regulating them. I feel like we should also make the point that actually sometimes it's not the inverted commas positive emotions that are you know the nicest to have so some people find joy very overwhelming but actually are quite comfortable with anger because they're used to it they grew up around it um so yeah. it's, it can be quite surprising what you're sort of okay with absolutely yeah i think there's a lot of people that aren't okay with joy they might think they are because they feel states of happiness sometimes but actually really being able to engage in that and like wow what do i want to do i want to celebrate i'm going to tell everybody my amazing news those things can be quite hard for some people a lot of us don't celebrate things that make us feel happy or things that we've achieved that bring us joy we just kind of minimize them and pass them by as if it's something we should have done all along it doesn't deserve the celebration so yeah i think that is a really really good point often it is harder to feel emotions that we would call positive in society yeah definitely so let's talk about emotional security um because being secure as an adult is quite different from the security we expect as a child right i think in practice as an adult again i think this is probably unique to different people but for me it's about autonomy as an adult whereas when you're a child emotional security usually involves the caregiver um, and definitely when you're an infant so emotional regulation develops from the response between an infant and a caregiver so when our kind of when we're a baby our caregiver will mirror to us what we're doing so maybe we kind of giggle give a little gurgle and a laugh or something like babies do and then the caregiver says oh you think that's funny and then does the gesture again to kind of encourage it and then we learn that what we're doing is funny or humorous or joyful and it gives meaning to those bodily responses and in adulthood we need a version of that um, but we don't need it to learn the meaning of what we're doing because we've we already know that even if you miss out on some of that learning in childhood for various reasons um, we learn it at school or we pick it up we become emotionally literate in some way and but i think in adulthood we need to feel seen and heard uh, by friends, by partners, by people who are close to us or influential to us. We need to feel seen and heard by them and recognised. And I think it's important in adulthood to be recognised for our uniqueness and for being who we are, being ourselves rather than for the roles we play or for what we might give to other people. Um, but being celebrated for being us. I think that's an important part of emotional security in adulthood, that 
we don't need to the same extent in childhood. It sort of starts when we're a toddler and we start to become autonomous in some way. Our parents still have loads of control over us, but we might start saying no to things or throwing food on the floor, that kind of thing. So the terrible twos are that kind of time where children start to go out on their own and kind of show what they want and they start saying no and yes and those sorts of things. Um, yeah, and we need a lot more of that in adulthood. We need to be recognised for who we are. Um, and I think that's probably the key for me in terms of emotional security. It's also, I mean, that requires you to show up as who you are. And that's something that comes up again and again on this podcast because it's such a vulnerable thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's just a constant work in progress for mm. most of us. Um, probably everyone, actually. Yeah, not most of us, all of us. Yeah, that's so true. There are two sides to it. Yeah, if you want to be recognised for who you are, you have to show that to people. Um, and if you can't, then you won't get that validation back. So it's almost like a muscle that won't grow because it's not being exercised. Um, so you've got to go through that vulnerability, I think, like you say, go through the vulnerability and have the courage to be your authentic self and Emotional regulation is part of that because it's about showing people your emotions sometimes or allowing them to be there even if you think that you shouldn't show emotion at work, for example. Actually allowing it may bring that kind of validation and that acknowledgement of who you are, where you are in the moment, and that can be so empowering and ultimately it allows you to be yourself. Are there any other benefits you think just to embracing the vulnerability of your emotions? Yeah, I, I, I do actually. I think the key thing is that, yeah, more of what we've been talking about, it makes you who you are. Um, if you hide your emotional experience from people or from yourself, as we often do, then you don't give yourself the chance to be who you really are in the world and in your life. And you don't give other people the chance to really know you so you sort of close off intimacy and real connection and you deny yourself that opportunity and you deny others the opportunity to have that with you and so life can often feel quite superficial um, not fulfilling not enriching for those reasons whereas emotional responses to life are totally normal and things happen every single day that are shocking or discombobulating or amazing and wonderful and to be able to feel the variations of that can feel like a total roller coaster it does feel like that a lot of the time but that's also part of being human and it's one of the things that separates us from animals in some ways and trying to take that away and to be more robotic about it doesn't make us more successful it drives us further away from who we are and from our humanity. And it closes down relationships with ourselves and with other people. It makes life a lot harder, I think, and a lot less fun. So if there's someone listening to this who's thinking, oh, I really, I really want to show up and be more vulnerable, but I feel so frightened at the prospect of what happens when I think about doing that, where could we start with more? security and emotional regulation yeah i would say i would say start by noticing the emotion that you're feeling which is fear um it's okay to feel fear 
in terms of being vulnerable, like I was talking about at the beginning, that is, that's an evolutionary appropriate response. Um, yeah, an appropriate evolutionary response because all humans are wired to protect themselves in some way. So yeah, I think it's okay to feel afraid. And I think by recognizing that you feel afraid and then showing yourself some kindness around that, you know, it's, it's all right to feel afraid. That is your emotion. It's already there. You don't create it by recognizing it. What you create by recognizing it is the acknowledgement of what you're already feeling and therefore the ability to say, okay, I want to be more vulnerable, but I feel really afraid. So right now I'm just going to be with the, okay, I'm feeling afraid. Let's leave it there and sort of see what happens. And they might actually find that later in the day they don't feel as afraid. Or they might then think, where would there be a safe place for me to express my emotions? What person do I feel safe with? Um, what emotion feels safer for me to express? And then they could try that out with the safe person or the safe place and kind of see what that's like. And then they could keep trying it out. And then you'll gain kind of data back essentially. Of, okay, I did it. I did still feel afraid, but I still did it. Then maybe a few tries later, it'll be like, I feel a little bit less afraid and getting a bit more used to it. Or even I still feel afraid, but I'm managing to tolerate my fear. Um, yeah, often fear comes, I think, with any emotion. It's often there in the background because we're being vulnerable at the same time. So yeah, I would say do it. Have the courage to do it. I think that's an amazing starting point. And just accept what comes up with it be compassionate to yourself and recognize that actually anyone else would probably feel the same so if you're being vulnerable with someone the chances are you might be met with support you might expect to be met with rejection but that's really your fear speaking you may be met with support instead but you won't know unless you try i like that and that's probably quite a good note to finish on actually um, so the one thing that I always do at the end of this podcast is to ask people for their one note on vulnerability. Um, so this is the one thing that you want anyone who's listened to this to take away from our chat today. Okay, my note on vulnerability is having the courage to be vulnerable is worth it. It is worth the risk. It is worth the fear. And it's something that you can build up over time in a way that feels safe and reasonably comfortable for you but it is worth it because the alternative is living a life in the shadows where you feel like you can't quite get life in full color and you don't feel as enriched you don't feel like your relationships are as close as they might be you don't feel like you really know or can be yourself to the full extent so actually vulnerability being vulnerable is the key to that and it's scary but it is worth it brilliant thank you very much well thank you for doing this today it's been a great chat thank you thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it alex this has been notes on vulnerability and i've been alex your host if you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips ideas and support I'm a resilience coach and you can find me on Instagram at Alex Shaw Coaching, S-H-O-R-E. 
or online at www.shaw-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at Notes on Vulnerability.